Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 45. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 45. And while you're, while you're turning there, I just want to say thank you all for joining us this, this morning in adult Sunday school lesson. I know it's, it's early and it's, it's, a, it's a sacrifice to get here early. And uh, we're going to continue in our four-lesson series uh, that we started in September. Called And today, the series is called David and Solomon. David and Solomon. It's a story you're, we're all familiar with, but I believe you'll be surprised uh, that as you, I was just talking to Josh Brantley about this earlier, the more you dig into familiar stories in the Word of God, the more you start finding things that you had never noticed before. And this is a powerful story in the Old Testament about David and uh, Solomon. And today, specifically, as part of this series, we're going to be looking at the story of David and Goliath. Last week, Brother Cameron started this series off, and he talked about uh, when David was almost overlooked. Did a great job teaching that lesson. But even though David was almost overlooked, he was divinely uh, anointed by God to lead Israel after King Saul rebelled. And so we're going to look at, in this series on David and Solomon, we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath today. So in your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, it says, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines unto the, unto this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts, to the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. So today there are two main truths that I want us to take away from this lesson. Number one, God fights our battles for us. God fights our battles for us. And number two, the second thing I want you to take away is that because of number one, because God fights our battles for us, I can face my giants with confidence. Amen. Overall, it was a discouraging season in the United States. The economy was slogging through a difficult recession coupled with high employment. I'm not talking about today, but it sounds like it. Americans were dealing with a shortage of gasoline and surging prices. In some states, people were only allowed to purchase fuel on odd or even numbered days based on their license plate numbers. Radicals in Iran took more than 50 American citizens hostage, causing a certain degree of embarrassment at being so challenged by a band of religious extremists. Then, President Jimmy Carter announced that the U.S. was going to boycott the 1980 Fall Olympics 
in Moscow, Russia, in protest over the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. A dark cloud seemed to have spread across the national psyche during these years, often called a national malaise. Into that culture, into that cultural stew, stepped a group of 20 amateur hockey players who formed the 1980 Winter Olympics hockey team. Competing in Lake Placid, New York, few gave them any chance because in that same year was the mighty Soviet team. They were older, stronger, more skilled, and more experienced. They were without a debate the best in the world that year as they often are. The matchup between these two teams was on February 22nd, 1980, and it seemed to coalesce the entire Cold War down to a single sporting event. The American team was outclassed in every category except for some intangibles of heart and desire. It was described in all the newspapers and by everyone who followed it as the classic David versus Goliath matchup. And perhaps the situation felt similar in the distant valley of Elah when a monster of a man stood towering above and glaring at the children of Israel. None wearing the Israeli uniform stood a chance against him, at least not in their own strength. He was a warrior since his youth and was in many cases twice the size of anyone who could have challenged him. All the smart money was on Goliath. How could he possibly lose? But across the way was a young man that we're going to study today. Nothing in his physical stature or background suggested anything other than a quick slaughter at the massive hands of the Philistine. The young man's court would soon lie dying in the valley while the nation continued to be humiliated day and night by the roaring challenges and threats of their foe. Israel could only hang his head in shame and cower in fear. This was their national malaise. But you likely know the end of the story. The puck went into the net, the stone went into his forehead, and the respective nations celebrated unanticipated victories. Succeeding generations have told both of these stories, and today we're going to study the latter one. During the days of Scripture... A king was often the nation's military leader and more than just simply title. It was not uncommon for the ruler himself to be in the heart of the battle. Today, the president of our country doesn't go to the battlefield except to visit the troops to raise morale. Even a thousand years ago, the kings would sit back on a hilltop and watch the battle unfold from their high horses, occasionally shouting commands at their generals. But this wasn't the case in the Bible days. They got into the middle of the fight. So it should come as no surprise that, that King Saul was right there with his army encamped overlooking the valley of Elah. In which down in that valley, Goliath stood and twice a day issued his command to challenge Israel. The remarkable point to me is that Saul had not immediately ran out to accept this challenge because from a natural standpoint Saul in all of Israel was the most well-suited the most qualified and the most 
capable of accepting this challenge. The Bible records King Saul this way. It says, from his shoulders and upward, upward, he was higher than all the people of Israel. He was the tallest one in all of Israel. That's why they were happy when they selected him as their first king. Among those he led, Saul himself was a giant. Without a doubt, all the people looked up to him, not just literally, but figuratively, anticipating that he would be the one to confront this giant from the city of Gath. Regrettably, though, this moment marked yet another failure in the sad tale of Israel's first king, as Saul cowered along with the rest of them, thus paving the way for David to rise to the occasion. David was not old enough to be part of this conflict, though. He was only there on that fateful day because his father was concerned for the well-being of his other sons who were in the army. It had to be exciting, though, for David, a young boy, to be relieved from his ordinary task of tending to the sheep and to be heading toward the site of the showdown between Israel and her avowed enemy, Philistia. No doubt. He was anticipating the sound of armed conflict, swords clashing against each other, shields hitting against each other, and a rousing victory coming for his nation. But after arriving, his reunion with his brothers was cut short when that terrible voice with which all the army had become too familiar with rang out yet again. Choose you a man and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. Goliath shouted this out twice a day according to 1 Samuel 17 verse 8. David likely looked around to see who's going to go rushing out to defeat this pagan, the one who is defying our God. But all he heard was the promises of the rewards that would be given to the person who was willing to go. As he repeatedly expressed his conviction that it was not the, the rewards that would cause him to go out and face Goliath, but in fact it was the cause. He didn't go to fight Goliath because of what he would win in the battle. And we must remember this in our daily walk with God. We are promised blessings when we give of our time and our talent and our treasure. God tells us that those blessings are there. And if God promised it, we can stand on the promises of God. But it's not because of blessing that we do this. It's not because of what God is going to give to me that I give him my all in all. I serve God because he is God, because of who he is, and not just because of what he has done for me. The blessings will come. But it's not the blessing that makes us walk out into the valley and face our giants week in and week out. And I believe that there are going to be tests that come along just to see if you're serving God for his many blessings. Job faced those tests and he said it like this. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. He didn't serve God because of his blessings. He served God because God deserves the glory. Amen. So someone carried word to Saul that there appeared to be someone willing to accept Goliath's challenge. 
So Saul said, bring him to me right away. Who is this? Who is this challenger? But one can only imagine Saul's disappointment when instead of some mighty man of valor, some warrior with all kinds of experience entering the tent, he found only a shepherd boy with zero combat experience. David expressed his willingness to fight, but Saul was immediately dismissive. 1 Samuel 17, says, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David assured Saul of his unwavering confidence in God's faithfulness to grant him victory. Whether Saul believed it or not, he dispatched David to the battle. I think by this time, David was used to being overlooked. Like we heard in last week's lesson from Brother Cameron, David's own father thought that David was not qualified to be king. And as Samuel went from son to son, the boys kept getting younger and smaller and scrawnier and shorter and less king-looking. But God reminded Samuel, he doesn't judge us by our outward appearance like man does. He judges us based on the heart. David didn't meet the standards of man's appearance, but he did meet the standards of what God looks for in a heart because the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. God doesn't pick us based on how we look on the outside. You give me two people to choose to do ministry with, one that's talented, one that's experienced, those people are great, those people are good. But I'd rather have one that's faithful, dependable, loyal, committed, and has a passion for the kingdom of God. You find somebody that's got talent and heart, you found yourself a unicorn, or perhaps maybe it's the Bittlers, but those people are rare. Those people are rare. People oftentimes lack talent, but that's exactly the reason why God chose them. Because what you lack in talent, God is going to make up for in anointing. And I'm telling you, heart beats talent every single time. That's exactly how the U.S. hockey team won the gold medal in 1980. Even if you could win the battle with just your talent, I don't think God would let you. Because the Bible says, I will not share my glory with another. In another place, he says, no flesh can glory in his presence. So what you think is a disadvantage is actually your greatest advantage. Because if you're lacking in an area, that means God is planning to fight for you and for his glory. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God hath chosen, yea. And things which are not to bring to naught things that are 
there are, that no flesh can glory in his presence. The reason you're facing a giant is not to cause you to have fear or to be intimidated or to be insecure. If it's so that you know who gets the glory when that giant falls. In a gesture of kindness toward David and perhaps to assuage his own guilt, Saul offered David the use of his own armor. It's likely that as king that Saul had the greatest armor, the best quality of armor than any other armor in the land of Israel. Still, given Saul's significant height over all the men of Israel and the fact that David was still a young man, the mental image of David stumbling around in this unfamiliar oversized armor is somewhat humorous. 1 Samuel 17, 38 says, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go. He didn't want to go, he said. Why? For he had not proved it. Meaning, David didn't want to go to battle with armor that he had not yet tested. David understood that when confronting the enemy... That it's not time to try something that I've never tried before. Prayer, fasting, reading your Bible, and other spiritual disciplines are supposed to be familiar to us long before we face our giant that demands their use. We must have already proved the value and effectiveness of spiritual weapons in our daily walk with God. Because when the enemy comes to steal your peace, it's not then that you start trying to memorize scripture about peace. Jesus was prepared when he was tested by Satan because he already knew the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And when the devil tempts you with lust or pride, it's not time to start fasting then. You've already fallen. When you face a health or financial crisis, that's not the time to take a crash course on prayer. Paul said, pray about everything, not just big things. The Bible says Daniel prayed three times a day as it was custom, every single day, not just when he found himself in the lion's den. David said, I haven't tested this. I haven't proved it. I can't go into battle with something that I haven't tested. No matter how prepared you are, there will always be times when our selfish nature looks at the magnitude or even the risk associated with the task before us and we think to ourselves, someone else is probably better suited to tackle this. The truth is, however, that you might just be that someone God has selected to go into the battle first. We must be willing to respond to God's voice irrespective of the willingness of others. Even though Saul wouldn't go, David went. Even though his brothers wouldn't go, David went. We know that Saul was better suited based on Scripture. We know that all of his brothers were taller, stronger, older, and looked more like kings themselves. However, 
We also know that God knew something even Jesse and Samuel didn't know at first by looking at David. David had the heart that Saul didn't have. David had the heart that his seven older brothers did not have. And David, because of his heart, had the confidence that God was going to fight for him. It's one thing to say what we will do but it's an entirely different thing to actually execute it. David no sooner received King Saul's authorization than did he start preparing. He didn't immediately and hastily rush out towards Goliath. Instead, he took the time for proper reflection and planning because rash choices are rarely balanced decisions. First, David armed himself with some old familiar, trusted tools. 1 Samuel 17 verse 40 says, and he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand. These items were anything but unusual for someone in David's line of work. Shepherds would routinely need to protect their sheep both from beasts and from disreputable people who would attempt to steal the sheep. Thus, a prudent shepherd would be armed with weapons for that purpose. There's no telling how many hours David spent in the pasture throwing rocks from his sling at a tree or a target. Any country boy in here knows you'd been doing the same thing to pass the time, either with a slingshot, a bow and arrow, a BB gun, or a 22. But never in all that time did David ever dream that these developed skills would one day turn the tide of his nation's future. We just never know just what we are preparing for in God's timing when we exercise discipline and hone our skill set. He may not have been used to the armor or skilled with a sword, but God used what David did have. And that's a principle we see play out many times in Scripture. The little boy with a couple fish and a few loaves of bread was used to feed a multitude when we put it into God's hands. Don't complain about what you do not have. Don't compare yourself to what others have. That little sling may not look like much compared to a king's sword, but in David's anointing hands, that sling was a giant killer. On more than a few occasions, in the course of minding the sheep, young David was able to put his talents to practical use. He tested them. He proved them. And he related these incidents to Saul in explaining his confidence in fighting Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 34 says, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I called him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. 
David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. In this moment, that certainly would test anyone's faith, David drew on the victories in his past for courage. Revisiting those moments when God came through for us is profoundly strengthening. When we reflect on and recount God's healing in our past, it bolsters our faith to pray for the healing we need today. When we remember God's previous provision, we can trust that he will provide for our needs today. When we testify of God's demonstrations of power at various points in our lives, we build both our confidence and the confidence of those that hear our testimony. When I knew God was calling me to be a church planner, my initial response was, God, you've got the wrong God. Because I knew my past, I knew my failures, I knew my shortcomings, but here's the thing. God knew them too. I didn't put it in my nose to, to bring my handkerchief for that part, but it hit me. In fact, while I was in my mother's womb, he was ordering my footsteps. Not long after we got here and I had one of those what am I even doing moments, the Lord started reminding me of the time when I was 14 and I spent the summer in Rhode Island with my uncle who had just planted a church. I was reminded of the time when I was 15, 16, and 17, and I went to church two, sometimes three times a day on Sunday to play my guitar, put out chairs, take up an offering, or just hold the door for people at a daughter work planted from Brother Davidson's church. I was reminded of three services a day that I went to for over three years to help Michael Gonzalez plant a church in downtown San Diego to help a Spanish work start in Escondido, California. I was even reminded of what I felt like was a failed attempt to plant a church when God sent us to Ramona, California. And overnight, literally 35 to 40 people that would show up on Sunday disappeared in thin air. We went three months and no one came. And I said, God, what am I doing? I didn't know those things. And I didn't do those things because I felt called to do them. I just did them because I was in the right place at the right time and God was ordering my footsteps the whole time. All of it was to prepare me for what God wants me to do today. David couldn't have imagined that this fight with a lion or with a bear or hours of practicing with a sling would prepare him to save his country from a giant. But God had planned it all along and God has been preparing your steps Two, don't question the victory in the valley with your next giant because you didn't get there by mistake. God put you there and God has been preparing you along, all along, and God is going to fight for you. And that's why we had the confidence to face our next giant. David clearly was not the biggest or the strongest option for Israel but he was the one willing to use what he had, a sling and a testimony. 
You may not be the most talented option. Maybe others are smarter or wealthier. Someone else may even have more experience. But if you're willing to use what you have in God's service, there is no limit to what God can do. It was obvious to anyone present that David was not going to win this context, contest in his own strength anyway. But it was equally obvious that he was trusting God to empower him with what he had to offer. And so can we. Armed and prepared, David did not hesitate then. He moved with purpose and intention directly toward Goliath. There are times to be deliberate, but there are also times to respond. When God has provided direction, our obligation is no longer to question it or doubt it, but to advance right away. Goliath was an impressive physical specimen, and he was quite skilled at using frightening speech. Threatening to feed one's adversary to the bones and flesh to the beast and birds could cause knees to tremble somewhat. But clothed with confidence in God, David did not even hesitate. In fact, he threw the threat right back at Goliath, but on an even grander scale. In 1 Samuel 17, 45, it says, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee and give the carcasses of the host of Philistines this day to the fowls of the air. The details have been familiar to most of us since we were children. The stone took a God-directed flight from David's sling to Goliath's forehead. And that behemoth of a man fell to his face. And David then picked up a sword that was probably four sizes too big for him and cut off the giant's head. And victory became contagious that day because 1 Samuel 17, 51 says, And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And all of Israel celebrated when one man demonstrated unshakable confidence in God's power to deliver. His triumph became their triumph. We will have God-ordained moments when by our faith in God, we can win great victories. Sometimes those moments can be rather frightening, but God has given us a promise never to leave us. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake thee. We can rest assured, that if God directs us to confront an enemy before us, he will give us a victory on which we can look back on one day when we face another giant. But the assurance is not found in natural abilities or human skills. In those realms, we are most certainly the underdogs. But in the realm of the spirit in which we war, we have been made more than conquerors, the Bible says. Just as Goliath was slain, 
so too will every enemy that opposes our walk with God so long as we maintain our confidence in the one who has never failed me, never left me, never forsaken me, and never let me down. In closing, no one would have selected him as a hero. He had little to nothing going for him. He was born in a large, poor family in Texas who eked out their existence as sharecroppers. While he was just a young boy, his father abandoned the family, and his mother passed away while he was still in his teens. In order to help the remaining family survive, this terribly disadvantaged young man dropped out of school to pick cotton. Though he wanted to, this poor, uneducated orphan was still too young to join the military when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. His sister helped him by falsifying some documents regarding his birth so that he could enlist, but even then, he was rejected by the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps for being too small and underweight. Finally, the U.S. Army agreed to take this baby-faced soldier who seemed to have nothing to offer into its ranks. His name was Audie Murphy, and their decision proved to be a wise one. Rising quickly to the rank of first lieutenant, Murphy saw combat in multiple countries in the European theater of the war and distinguished himself in numerous battles. Over the next few years, he received every American combat award for valor available at that time, as well as decorations for heroism from France and Belgium. Perhaps most notably, he single-handedly held off an entire company of German soldiers for an hour at Colmore Pocket in France in Germany of 1945. And then he led a successful counterattack while he was wounded and out of ammunition. And for those actions, he would receive the Medal of Honor, the highest military award for valor. When asked after the war why he seized a machine gun by himself, why he took on an entire German company infantry alone, he simply replied, they were killing my friends. He was only 19 years old at that time. No one would have selected Aldi Murphy to be the hero. No one saw his potential. And no one saw the potential in David either. Perhaps a few, including yourself, can even see what you can be. But that does not mean God does not have profound plans for your life. Because there is a spiritual, spiritual call more pocket or a spiritual valley of Eli waiting for your willingness to rise to the gravity of the moment and make a difference. And you can do it. But not because you're great, but because God is great. Not because you are strong, but because he is strong. And because you trust in a God who is greater than anyone. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Not because you have the ability, but because you walk in tandem with the one who can do all things. The one who framed the world with his words. You need not be intimidated by the size of the giant across the battlefield 
from you today. If you will simply look at the stature of the God who lives inside of you. Heroes come in all shapes and sizes. And believe it or not, there's one that looks just like you. Thank you all for joining me today in this Sunday school lesson. I appreciate your undivided attention. And uh, we have about 20 minutes or so before our next session at 11 a.m. Thank you.